you. Shall we pray as we look at this together? Lord God, we do thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that it is like a double-edged sword that cuts to the bone. Uh, And Lord, we pray tonight that you would uh, speak to our hearts and our minds, that you would soften our hearts and turn them to Jesus, we pray. And for Jesus' glory, we pray this evening. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, I think our key verse uh, tonight is verse 3, isn't it? First, we have a look at that. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What is repentance? What is repentance? Repentance is a real change of mind, bringing about a radical change of direction. A real change of mind bringing about a radical change of direction. For the past few years, um, my family and I, got a wife, Nikki, three children, we've holidayed down in Broadhaven in uh, South Wales. Great place, lovely coastline, nice ice cream shop, very important for me. No mobile phone reception, it's perfect. But it's a long way to go, even in Norfolk terms, kind of about as far west as you can go, south uh, west tip of Wales. And at the end of the holiday this year, my wife Dickie and I, as we always do, had a ding-dong about the journey back, uh, uh, the way we're going to come, how we're going to avoid the M25, which is always a bit of a tricky thing. And I prefer not to use a sat-nav, probably like many blokes. Kind of instead, I prefer to rely on my well-honed natural navigation skills. Uh, I'd done the journey before, you know, I knew the route quite well. Uh, But half an hour after leaving the M4, somewhere near Chipping Sodbury, I think it was, wherever that is, I pulled into a lay-by, accepted I got it wrong, and did what can only be described as a U-turn, an about-turn, headed back down, retracing my steps to the M4. That's something of the sense of repentance and about turn. Repentance is a real change of mind, bringing about a radical uh, change of direction. As uh, Richard said, we're starting a new series, aren't we, in Luke's Gospel uh, this evening and in our evening services, continuing a little bit what we were looking at um, before Christmas. You may know that Luke was an educated uh, man. He was a doctor, brilliant at Greek apparently, and he wrote two uh, volumes. He wrote his Gospel, Gospel of Luke, and he wrote Acts. And Luke's method was to interview Uh, the eyewitnesses of Jesus, who'd been commissioned by Jesus to pass on the authoritative interpretation of his life and teaching. So we might say, mightn't we, that Luke was an investigative historian. We could say a kind of first century Simon Sharma, uh, if you like. And you can see that, I think, can't you, in how Luke records uh, these events. Because chapter 3, it starts a new section of his gospel. And as it kicks off, do you see how Luke really carefully sets the historical context to what's going? He identifies the big figures of the day. See that in verse 1. He starts suddenly with, at the national level uh, with the Roman Emperor Tiberius. You can Wikipedia Tiberius later if you want to. He existed, the second Roman Emperor uh, or Caesar from 14 AD to 37 uh, AD. We've got the Tetrarchs, haven't we? Uh, Herod and Philip, they're the kind of regional rulers, next tier uh, down, if you like, uh, ruling parts of Galilee further afield. We've got Pontius Pilate, uh, the governor of Judea. 
know from records that he was governor from 4 BC to 39 AD. And then finally, we've got the religious leaders. So we've got the retired high priest, uh, Annas, and his son-in-law, Caiaphas, the current high priest. And and Luke is writing probably 30, 35 years uh, after these events. So it would be a bit like me talking, wouldn't it, about the 1980s, kind of mid-1980s. So sort of saying, do you remember when Ronald Reagan was president of the United States, when Queen Elizabeth was on the throne? Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister. Robert Runcie, remember him? Probably not. Archbishop of Canterbury. These events, they happened then. That's what kind of Luke's saying here in terms of the context. And he tells us right at the beginning of his Gospel, Luke, that he wants us to have certainty concerning the things that have been fulfilled in and through uh, the Lord Jesus. I reckon that as a smart guy, Luke probably knew, didn't he, that people would find it difficult to swallow a lot of what he was going to write. Skeptical minds would find it quite difficult. These extraordinary incidents, events we'll read about involving Jesus. So he puts the ministry of John the Baptist on the pages of public history. This is not myth or legend, Luke is saying. These events are grounded in reality and history. And and the ministry of John the Baptist was a a public ministry. He is an electric um, public figure, John the Baptist. He was creating big ripples uh, with this message that he had. If it was today, you'd have Hugh Edwards leaving his 10 o'clock news studio. He'd be down uh, on the banks of the Jordan reporting. You'd have... You'd have people posting from the crowd on, on Facebook. Uh, Wikipedia would be, uh, not Wikipedia, the, uh, what's the other social media stuff? Twitter. Twitter would be going berserk. You could tell what I do in my spare time, not Twitter. With kind of feeds from celebrities about all that's going on. The ministry of John the Baptist, it is dramatic, it is controversial. It's out there in the public. And up front, Luke wants us to see at this new, the start of this new section of his gospel. He wants us to see what Jesus is going to be all about. The authentic gospel of the Lord Jesus, it's held up for us at the beginning of this section. It's a great way, isn't it, to start 2018 as we come face to face with the real Jesus. What is the first thing that Luke wants us to know? What is the message of John the Baptist. What is the big theme, as we'll see, of this section of Luke's, Luke's gospel? It's this. Repentance is essential for salvation. Repentance is essential for salvation. That's my only point this evening. Repentance is essential. Just look at the second part of verse 2. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If you were a first century Jew and you heard the phrase, the word of God came to you, you would immediately have known what job um, John the Baptist had, if you like. In the Bible, the phrase, the word of God came to you, was used for one group of people uh, and one group of people alone. It was used for the prophets. The prophets. There have been many prophets in the Old Testament, prophets who call people 
are back to God, who spoke with God's authority. So ears would have pricked up. Yeah, here's another prophet. And John the Baptist was the last uh, of these prophets. And he had one job. One job, to get people ready to meet God's king. Get people ready to meet God's king. It's spelled out in verses 4 to 6 here. Luke, Luke crafts these words, if you like, from Isaiah chapter 40, which is the turning point of the great prophet Isaiah's prophecy in the Old Testament, where Isaiah poetically explains how God is going to rescue his people, how he's going to bring them salvation. How? Through a personal visitation by God himself. He will provide the double, the man double, for the sins of his people. He will break in in a personal, sin-bearing intervention. So how do people get ready? How do people get ready? How should we respond? Verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Back in the first century, before a kind of great ruler or dignitary uh, sort of rocked up, it was customary for a courier uh, to go ahead and basically check out that everything uh, was in order. And the big issue before the Romans got hold of them uh, was the roads. So it's customary for highways to be uh, made straight, sorted out for rulers. Roads would be built nice and flat, straight, no dodgy potholes, so that kind of a, a grand processional entrance, if you like, could be made, perhaps on the way into the city. You might say the kind of modern equivalent would be perhaps the Champs-Élysées in Paris. It goes through the Arc de Triomphe. Perhaps the Mall in London up to Buckingham Palace kind of gives you an idea uh, of what's being talked about. So that, that sort of preparation, is, it's no different really today, I don't think, is it? So a couple of years ago, my wife Nikki was... Um, She's meeting Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge, at a charity event, which she got extremely excited about, as you would. And honestly, the fuss over what to wear, uh, the shoes was unbelievable. I completely lost interest after a number of weeks discussing it. But she wanted to be prepared. Be prepared for that meeting. They say, don't they, that wherever the Queen goes, she smells fresh paint. She can't be a great life, uh, if you think about it. But people want to be prepared, don't they, for her arrival. I wonder, has the Queen ever been held up in a roadwork or had to get a rail replacement bus service because of a, another Abellio Greater Anglia train cancellation? I doubt it. People want to be prepared, don't they, for uh, the Queen's arrival. Red carpets are rolled out. And what we've got here, haven't we, is language that is deliberately, really dramatic, really kind of seismic, um, in, its, in its scale. It takes the, takes the idea, doesn't it, to kind of point 10, you might say, on the Richter scale. It's got massive earth movements. The valleys, they're going to be filled in. Mountains are going to be flattened. Be okay in Norfolk. Everything is, everything is to be straightened up. John the Baptist is calling on people to 
prepare for the great gracious invasion of God. God is going to break in, in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing salvation. What is necessary if we are to be ready to meet Jesus? What is expected when God the Son comes into the world in person as as Lord, as King, as Saviour? It is that we repent of our sins, that we turn from all that we do that comes from a heart of unbelief. So, So we could perhaps put it like this, the road or highway, the road or highway for the entrance of God is, is repentance. We need to build, if you like, a kind of motorway into our hearts through repentance. Repentance is essential, says John the Baptist. There can be no forgiveness without real repentance. It's good, isn't it, to be clear what this is not, what is not being talked about here. This is not about a kind of New Year brushing up of our act. It's not about kind of pulling our socks up, making ourselves good enough for God, a kind of DIY morality program to make God smile a bit wider. It's not about that. Repentance is enabled by God. It's initiated by God. No amount of repentance will merit the forgiveness of God. And yet no one is forgiven, no one is saved without repentance. That's what John the Baptist is saying. I think repentance is quite a difficult concept, isn't it, for us to get, get our heads around. I was thinking about this in the past couple of days today. It's quite an outdated idea. If you think about public, the public eye or public life, nobody ever repents, it seems. That's probably an exaggeration. Rarely repents uh, in the public eye. So people kind of think it's weak. So instead, you kind of, you dodge, you weave, you caveat, you say, well, you know, I misspoke. Oh, we live in a blame culture, don't we? We kind of pass, pass the buck, transfer the blame. It's someone else's fault. I, I'm the victim uh, in, in all of this. Someone else is at fault. It's great for lawyers, which is good. We need lawyers. But it's, it's bad. It's really bad for our hearts. Because at heart, we're all at fault, We're all at fault. We all sin. Sin is everything that we do that comes from a heart of unbelief. It's everything that is self-centered, everything that hurts others, everything ultimately that hurts God. That is what sin is. I don't know about you, but that is most of my life today. Not my pre-Christian life, that is still most of my life today. So, so much of what I do, how I live, comes from a heart of unbelief. I ignore what God says and I go my own way. I want to gratify and please myself first. I want to live with myself, not God, at the centre of my world. I'd like to think I can live as I please and it's, it's got no consequences. And yet, the closer we get, don't we, to other people, the more that we hurt them. We know that. If we love somebody, the closer we are, the more we can hurt them. And once we know how great and loving 
God is, how personal God is, how much he loves us, how compassionate he is, well then we realise, don't we, that our sin hurts him the most. That is why we need to repent. Repentance is a real change of mind, bringing about a radical change of direction. So it's not, is it, just simply feeling sorry uh, or saying sorry. It's not just having a sense of regret. Uh, it's not driving one way but wishing we, we were driving the other way. Repentance is stopping living for ourselves, turning around like that car in the road and in, instead living for Jesus Christ. Deciding to put ourselves back under God's rule, God's gracious rule, knowing that we were sitting outside of his rule. Repentance is a real change of mind, bringing about a radical change of direction. Writer C.S. Lewis says this, he says, we are people who need to lay down our arms before God. People need to lay down our arms before God. We need to realize that we're fighting God and surrender. Recognize that we are ignoring him. We're disobeying him. We're living for ourselves. We need to lay down our arms. Until we do that, we're people who can't receive forgiveness. That is what John the Baptist says. I wonder, where are you at this evening? No one is born ready to meet Jesus. No, no one can work hard enough to get right with God. Maybe you've got questions tonight. Richard mentioned the Discover course. Why not sign up for the Discover course? Ask those questions. Delve into what John the Baptist is saying, what Jesus uh, teaches. Come, come along in the next few weeks to the series in Luke and come face to face with the real Jesus. Perhaps you're, you're here this evening, I guess most of us here this evening are probably Christian. We call ourselves Christian. Can I ask you two questions? Two questions. First question Do you have a repentant spirit? Do you have a repentant spirit? Or are in, in truth, are there certain sins in your life that you're just growing a bit more comfortable with? Actually, you're happy to live with them. doesn't seem that big, big a deal. A lack of a repentant spirit surely should be a red flag for us, shouldn't it? A red flag. If we're Christian, we should be on a lifelong journey of repentance. It's not about whether we're struggling, is it, with a particular sin. Every Christian has struggled in that way for life. We all have that. That's true of every Christian who's lived. But an ongoing spirit of repentance, that surely is a sign that we belong to Jesus, that we have been forgiven of spiritual health. It's, it's God's grace at work in our life. We might say that, say that saved people are repentant people. True repentance bears fruit. Next week we'll see uh, John the preacher expand on, on what a genuinely repentant life looks like. I'm not going to steal Richard's thunder, tempting though it is. But John is eye-wateringly direct 
in what he says. This was a, a big sting for me this week. Eye-wateringly direct. And we'll see next week two things John says in some way will show whether a person is repentant. Their bank balance, how they spend their money, and how they treat other people. Do we have a repentant spirit? Second question, what part does repentance play in our understanding of the Christian gospel, of the, of the good news of Jesus Christ? As we seek to spread it, talk about Jesus with friends, with family, colleagues, John the Baptist here declares, doesn't he, that repentance is essential for the forgiveness of sins. Turning around is essential. Do we, does that feature really in our thinking? Or, or might, might it be that we're so determined in conversations to stress the grace of God, which is right, that we never actually say to people, but repentance, turning around, is part of it, is required. It is essential, according to, to Luke. John the Baptist is one of those people, isn't he? He didn't seem to care, really, what people thought about him. You get that sense when you, when you read one of my favourite foods is curry. I wonder if you were a curry, which curry would you be? Perhaps you're a korma, kind of mild and creamy in the background. There's always a place for a korma. Sensible sometimes to eat a korma. But you'd have to say, wouldn't you, that John the Baptist wasn't a korma. John the Baptist was a vindaloo, wasn't he? It's kind of vindaloo, red hot, when he needed to be. I wonder, are there times where we just need to kind of rework the recipe a bit? Repentance is a real change of mind, bringing about a radical change of direction. Next week we'll see uh, the Lord Jesus, the one who is coming. We'll see that he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. I wonder, maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, you know what, I just can't repent. I can't do it. I'm just stuck in a deep rut. I'm like a kind of tractor in a field. The wheels have gone over that path again and again, and it's just so deep I can't steer a different way. Or you feel like a kind of golfer who's had a a golf swing grooved for 20 years and you can't change your swing. How do you change a golf swing? Mine's rubbish anyway. But the ways of life are are so set. My habits are so bad. I've been operating this way for so long. Well, the message of John the Baptist is that one is coming who is greater and more powerful than John the Baptist, Jesus. And as we turn, he will meet us. Jesus will meet us. He'll baptize with the Holy Spirit and God will come into our life bringing forgiveness bringing a kind of radical power we could never source for ourselves and bringing a real and a deep change come back next week shall we pray Lord God these are challenging words Lord God, we thank you for uh, the message of this passage, Lord, for the the direct way uh, that it speaks to us, Lord, that we are 
called to turn uh, from uh, the path that we're on, the lives that we're leading, leading self at the center, and Lord, to turn to uh, meet Jesus Christ. To acknowledge that we've got things wrong. Our life is uh, on the wrong track. But Lord, we can turn to Jesus and he meets us. He knows us. He loves us. As we turn, as we repent, he forgives us. Lord God, we praise you tonight for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his work on the cross. And we ask that you give us a spirit of humility, of repentance. That we desire to serve the Lord Jesus first and foremost with all of our lives, all of our days we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.